and welcome to the Who's He podcast with me, Phil. And sorry folks, at the moment it's just me. Paul isn't here right now uh, to go through the news this week, um, but he will be joining us later on when we discuss this week's topic, and that is The Ghosts of N-Space, which is John Pertwee's second and last audio adventure in the role of the Doctor. But first, some news. And what's been released this week are the Live Plus 7 viewing figures uh, for Doctor Who Series 7. Now, what this means, or entails rather, is the iPlayer figures and transmission repeats uh, that are added on to the first run viewing figures, or the overnights. Now, to give you an example, the first run for, say, some of the Daleks, which had 6.39 million viewers, the the final Live Plus 7 figure is 9.65 which had a 51% increase in audience. Very very good. Now what this means for Doctor Who is that each episode on average had an increase of 3.7 million viewers which is excellent, which is absolutely brilliant. Now uh, this means that it was the second largest average increase for drama in 2012 and it was beaten by Sherlock Hooray! Another fantastic programme. Uh, now that had an increased, or an average increase, of 3.34 million viewers. Now however, despite this, Doctor Who has the largest percentage increase for drama for the for 2012 so far. Now, looking at the figures here, that was actually for Dinosaurs on a Spaceship, which on its first run had 5.43 million. Live Plus 7 viewing figures shows it eventually got 8.64 now, this actually meant it had a 59% increase in audience share. So, that is amazing, to be honest. That is absolutely amazing. One of the episodes that the, I suppose you could say, the hardcore fans dismissed as being a load of, uh, a load of, load of nonsense. I personally enjoyed it, um, so what do I know? There you go. An audience increase of 59%. So, that is really, really good. So it just goes to show you can't put any faith into overnight viewing figures. It doesn't mean anything these days. So there you go. There you go. And also this week, there's been a couple of casting announcements. Um, Now one person you you most likely have heard of, Tamsin Althwaite, has been cast in an episode uh, for next year. Now you might know her from things like EastEnders, Hotel Babylon, Red Cat... And she's also married to Tom Ellis, who played Tom Milligan in The Sound of Drums, The Last of the Time Lords. So there's a big Doctor Who connection there. Uh, No idea which episode uh, she's going to be in. or Actually, I I do know who she's playing, because it gives her uh, character's uh, name here. But I'm not going to say that. We don't do spoilers on this podcast. So uh, there you go. Um, Now, there's been another one that's uh, been announced this week, which is a little bit strange, this one. Uh, For those of you who watch The X Factor, the name Zoe Alexander might be familiar to you. It's not to me, it has to be said, because I don't watch The X Factor. But I do recall this girl getting into the press. Um, Now, for those of you who don't know, she was famous uh, for throwing a massive strop on The X Factor. Um, In a... I think a chosen profession, she is a pink impersonator, or pink tribute act, what you want to call it. Now, her beef with the, with the producer of The X Factor was that she says that they made her sing pink songs as part of her audition. When she did um, this in front of the judges, they told her to do something original, don't be pink, uh, sing something else, something that's not pink, basically, uh, which she did, and then got slated for it. She then threw a massive, uh, massive strop, uh, shouting and swearing at people, and uh, I think she might have even pushed the cameraman or something like that. Uh, so that's how she got her five minutes of fame, and basically she's saying that the producer of The X Factor set her up. However, somehow or other, she's managed to get herself a role in the next series of Doctor Who. Um, now, obviously it's only going to be for one episode. I don't know what this part is, I'm assuming it's just standing in the background waving at someone or or just reacting to something. I can't imagine it's going to be a speaking part. Um, I mean, if that's the way we're going, I hope it's not some sort of form of stunt casting or yet another uh, sort of let's do some contemporary um, mentions of people who are sort of semi-famous. 
Yeah, let's hope not. Uh, however, she said, it's great to be working on Doctor Who. The people are a lot nicer than some you get to meet working in TV. I'm loving it, but I'm hoping that this is just the start for me. So, who knows? Who knows what that entails? Also this week, uh, Matt Smith was on the Steve Wright show. Uh, for those of you who don't know who Steve Wright is, that is he's on a, a radio show, a daily radio show on BBC Radio 2. Um, I haven't actually heard the interview, but apparently he was uh, obviously asked about the Christmas special. And obviously Matt wasn't going to give it anything away at all, and quite rightly so. But all he said was, I can say it's set in Victorian England. We meet a doctor who's been profoundly changed by the experiences before from losing the ponds. And into his life walks General Louise Coleman's character, and off they go on new adventures. Sounds interesting. Uh, not Nothing we don't already know. We know the Doctor's going to be um, completely, you know, not completely changed, but affected by what's happened. We're going to see a new a new angle to uh, Matt Smith's Doctor. Uh, so, yeah, looking forward to Christmas is what I'm saying. Looking forward to Christmas. Now, also uh, about next year, um, there's been a... A couple of little things come up about the 50th anniversary. First things first, um, Peter Davison. Um, he said about the 50th anniversary that every day I check the phone to see if Stephen Moffat has called me. I don't know what's happening next year. I have nothing to report. I'm sure it'll be something fantastic, but I don't know what. I think if the classic doctors aren't invited, I'm going to make my own rival video. I'll do my own 50th anniversary special. Colin Baker's prepared to work for nothing. Um just a little joke folks I don't think to take this seriously um, I also don't think we're going to see any ex-doctors in the 50th anniversary either um, maybe in sort of flashback footage like we had in the next doctor that sort of thing um, I really don't think we're going to get anybody maybe David Tennant maybe Paul McGann I don't know I really don't th- I don't think it will um, they're going to go down that road but it'll be nice I think the fans want it um, obviously this is just my opinion we haven't got Paul here to offer his um, but hey you know that's uh, it's fan preference, the fans want it um, whether they get it or not it's something entirely different now a very strange piece of 50th anniversary news now Now, this comes from the latest edition of Private Eye um, now for those of you who don't know what's been going on with the BBC at the moment uh, in the UK there's this whole scandal surrounding which is probably one of the BBC's biggest stars at the time, Jimmy Savile, um, who used to do a programme called Jim Will Fix It, where he made dreams come true for um, for, for children. And, and actually, famously, Doctor Who was featured on it, um, with Colin Baker and Janet Fielding. Oh, was it a fix for or the Sontarans or something like that? Um, but anyway, what they're saying is here, because of this scandal surrounding Jimmy Savile, now I... Don't want to go into that on this podcast. Um, it's all rather sordid and disgusting, and I don't really think um, this is the place to, di- to discuss it. Um, however, Private Eye have written, As the sound of stable doors slamming shut resounds around the BBC, the Jimmy Savile scandal is having some increasingly bizarre after-effects. A one-off docudrama about the creation of Doctor Who, scripted by Mark Gatiss, is in production to be broadcast in November 2013 in celebration of the programme's 50th anniversary. Its makers have just been ordered to excise all scenes set in television centre dressing rooms. Now, this seems rather a peculiar statement. Um, Now, obviously, the whole scandal surrounding Jimmy Savile um, is difficult to, to... go into without mentioning what the man's done so which I don't really want to do um, but this is uh, it's, to me this is sort of intimating one of two things one, the BBC are getting cold feet about this and anything to do with what goes on behind the scenes in the dressing rooms um, is a sensitive subject at the moment and should be, shouldn't be touched upon or two and I hope this isn't what Private Eye are getting at that something funny went on behind the scenes at Television Centre in the dressing rooms of Doctor Who. Now, I don't for one moment think any that is the case at all. I think this is just some little satirical swipe um, from Private Eye at the BBC. Uh, that's all it is. Um, the BBC are really on the rack at the moment, and I think the media are actually quite enjoying having a little a little dig at them, um, especially after all the you know what's going on with the Leveson inquiry. If you don't know what that is, um, that's all to do with the. Uh, the press basically 
hacking people's phone calls and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's it's a really touchy subject. Not one I'm prepared to go into on this podcast, as I've already said. But uh, it just seems a peculiar thing to write. Um, so we'll get uh, Paul's opinion on this next week, I think. But anyway, let's leave Jimmy Savile behind um, and all the scandal and everything. Um, we'll do something a little bit more, a little bit more, or a lot more upbeat, I should say. Um, now, as you remember, two episodes were rediscovered, um, which were believed missing last year, which was uh, an episode from the William Hartnell story Galaxy 4 and an episode uh, from the, the sorry the Patrick Troughton story, The Underwater Menace. Now, the episode from Galaxy 4 Airlock um, is going to be shown in full at the Beer Fire Missing Believed Wiped event on uh, Sunday the 2nd of December at the BFI South Bank. Now, it's all part of a little sort of section of that weekend called The Weird and the Wonderful. And tickets for this will go and sell to the public on Tuesday the 13th of November at 11.30am GMT. So, um, so if you want tickets for that, they go and sell on Tuesday the 13th of November. And as I say, the actual event itself is on Sunday the 2nd of December. Um, hopefully, the Hoosie podcast will be uh, represented at this one. Uh as we we are, we got caught out before and fed up missing out on all the exclusive screenings of new series and special episodes and stuff. So we uh, we're now members of the BFI. So we're going to try and make good on this. Actually, attend the damn event and and report back to you, which will be uh, which will be a first for us. It really will be. Right. Well, to wrap up this new section, it's Omega's Tat Corner. You pester me with trinkets! And in the Tat Corner this week, well, it's something we've actually previously spoken about before. So, uh, really, I should be saying, previously in Omega's Tat Corner, the fourth Doctor Scarf. Now, you may remember we, uh, we've spoken about this before with uh, a few podcasts ago. Uh, it was available for pre-order back then. Well, now it's actually on sale. It's a full-length fourth Doctor scarf. It's 13 foot long by 10 inches wide, including the tassels, it says here. And you can now buy that from Amazon UK, um, for example, or, or, and possibly, I say possibly, bound to be Forbidden Planet as well. Um, so you can keep warm and stylish for the princely sum of £49.99 which, to me, that sounds rather excessive for a scarf. Other than said, that's actually quite cheap. I think it's a bit of a rip-off myself, just because it's got the word Doctor Who attached to it. So, Okay then, folks. Well, that's it. That is it for the TACCOM. We just wanted to bring that one piece of information to your, uh, to your uh, attention. So, coming up is... Uh, well, Paul's going to be back uh, t- talking about the Ghost of N-Space with me. So, for another week then, that was the news. Okay, now we're going to talk about the Ghost of N Space, uh, the second in our occasional series of audio reviews. Uh, but before we go any further, as usual with all of our reviews, it will be full of spoilers. So if you haven't heard the Ghost of N Space, switch off now and come back when you've listened to it. Yes. Yes. So, okay. So, from here on in, we're going to take it that you've listened to the Ghost of N-Space. The N-Space barrier could burst. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, indeed I am. Now, you all saw what has been trying to get through the cracks. When the catastrophe point is reached and the barrier gives way, this planet will be flooded by all the evil in N-Space. All the fear, greed, anger, hate, or all the sheer malevolence of the world as experienced in the beginning of time will pour out into the world in an overwhelming torrent. Okay, then. Um... What do you think, Paul? Now you you've had I've, this is the first time I've actually listened to it, and you've you've had it a, you've had it on file a lot longer than I have. <laughs> I'm taking the blame, am I? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know this story. There's a lot with this story that I really shouldn't like, which will probably come out over the course of this okay, okay. podcast. But I don't know. Part of me still just does like it. Um. And I don't know why. I, I don't know if it, I don't know if it's I, I'm sort of in the same op- opinion as of you as you because 
I don't know. It's just it's just a nostalgia thing. I was going to say that's what I was going to say. I've got a funny feeling it is purely nostalgia. And if it was this was something new that had just come out, and all the cast were living, yeah, whether I'd have such a a warm feeling to it. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't know if the sort of the listeners out there are aware of the history of this this particular story. Or actually, even sort of like how this came about, because it was the second of two John Pertwee audio stories. Yes, and there was to be a third, wasn't there? That's right. Now, the first one was The Paradise of Death, uh, which was released in 1993. I haven't heard that. No, so, I haven't either, actually. So, I, so, so, yeah, so I don't know if this leads, that leads into The Ghost of Endspace or not. I've got, I know there is a recurring character, uh, which we'll come to uh, later. Um but this was recorded in 1994, and was actually wasn't broadcast until uh, the January to February 1996. Yeah, and it's often been cited as the last thing that John Pertwee actually recorded as the Third Doctor. Yes, which we know not to be the case. No, don't we? Um, because just before we we started recording, you did a bit more digging around and found out the last thing that John Pertwee actually recorded was for a fan film called Devious. Which was in 1995. Five. Yeah, so that was the last thing he did as the third Doctor. Um, yeah, so as I say, I think there's that nostalgia thing. I think knowing it was the last sort of official thing, let's say it's the last official thing John Pertwee did as the third Doctor. And you still, you do sort of look back on it with sort of rose-tinted spectacles. Yes. To a certain degree. Also, I mean, I've had this quite a while and yeah. I think probably the first time I listened to it I thought it was actually quite good but I wonder that was probably before during the break when we had no new Doctor Who mm. before the new series started and I was probably quite pleased just to hear anything that I hadn't seen or heard before well yeah because this I mean this really was the only bit of Doctor Who we had between the TV series finishing it and the uh, McGann TV movie yeah, so this is the sort of the only officially sanctioned BBC Doctor Who or new Doctor Who that we that we had to listen to. Yeah, <coughs> but I must admit, excuse me, um, I didn't actually listen to it back in um, 1994 because being a, I think, oh, sorry, back in 1996, sorry, um, sort of being a 26 year old, the, the actual the very thought of listening to BBC Radio Two would have filled me with horror because that because that, that was the station my parents listened to. <laughs> I, on the other hand, I don't know where, <laughs> what you're saying here. <laughs> I'll be for your time, Paul. I'll, be for I'll your take time. that for the insult it's meant to be. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, dear. But I think... Um, I, mean, I don't know if we, we should sort of, like, before we... Um, it's always so we're looking at about the nostalgic... Um, our nostalgic heads on, as it were. Um, and we... Yeah, I, I'm so much I kind of like it. But my my God, there was a hell of a lot wrong with it, wrong isn't with there? It. Yeah, um, it, it's 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 just I slightly suspect over ambitious for a start for an audio play as well to take in three different time zones and two dimensions, different dimensions. Well, yeah, I'm actually I suppose you could say it's actually three different time zones and different dimension because you've got like the the 20th century. Yeah, uh, the 16th century, the 18th century, and then end space itself. Yeah, um, which, as you say, really ambitious. And actually, it was, it, this was written by Barry Letts. Yeah, as well. Um, which I mean, he's got a good sort of pedigree. Really, he sort of brought the old team back together. I don't know why. Was there any reason why they had Elizabeth Sladen back as Sarah Jane Smith rather than, say, Katie Manning. It could well just be availability. Could have been. I'd say for both suppose, stories as well. I, so I, I suppose. Know. I mean, we don't, problem is we don't know what the paradise... We're, we're saying this from the point of view we've never heard the paradise of death, as we said earlier, yeah. which may have been very much more a reason why it had to be Sarah Jane for that episode. Well, isn't this... Um... And she's supposed to be... the the Her character and the... Um, Jeremy is are supposed to be from the same paper or whatever. He's yeah. supposed to be the photographer for the paper. Yeah, that's it. So, um, well, sh- shall we sort of just sort of briefly go through the sort of like briefly describe the plot? 
Because yeah, if, if we can, this is going to be good, isn't it? Um, <laughs> basically, it all starts off with the um, the brigadier who seems to be going back to his um, ancestral home in Sicily um, to help out his uncle Mario, who's been threatened by um, a a stereotypical um, New York gangster. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> called uh, Max Vilmio, played by the very shouty Stephen Thorne. Um, let's be honest, he has got quite a commanding voice of Stephen Thorne, yes. isn't he? So, and so, you, you get the feeling that the, when it, once soon as it was written, it was, ah, right. Yeah. We, we, need, so, we need someone who's got that presence, really. So, yes. Yeah, so, so we end up with Stephen Thorne. How, however, um, the Brigadier's uncle, Mara, is also trying to um, deal with ghosts that he's, been, that he's sighted at, um, yes. at this, sort of the, the family, this family home or castle, if you want to call it. So he asked the doctor to uh, investigate these these ghostly sightings, which the doctor explains as well. They're not really ghosts; they're just um, trying to. They're sort of like, it like the, when people die, they're trying to get to end space, aren't they? Yes, I know. Which, which is another another yeah. dimension. Yeah. Yes. Um, and throughout all this, Sarah Jane just happens to be in Sicily as well. Yes, it's all very coincidental, isn't it? Yeah, but then so yeah. is always his doctor. Isn't yeah, it is. It's, yeah, um, it's not. I mean, this is actually written as would be a TV, a classic story. I think. Well, it's actually even in to, the fact of six episodes. Yeah, it's actually meant to take place after. Judging by the conversation that Sarah Jane has at one point, she mentions the Daleks. Yeah. So for her, that will that will take place after Death to the Daleks. Then. Yeah. And as the Doctor finds out, there's a, there's a crack between dimensions. Which the Doctor then travels to the 16th, 18th century to try and find out the cause of this fracture um, in realities, and he finds out that the this this gangster called uh, Vilmio is actually an alchemist called was it Vilmius? Yes. Who's trying to get the uh, the power of true true immortality, which you can only achieve uh, by using the power of end space. Um, but it's actually centuries old, and and actually they actually sort of use magic potions in this because that's how he kept himself alive all this time. Yeah. So yeah, it's and that that's basically how it sort of that that's basically the plot. And the, you know, the Doctor's got to try and uh, yeah. defeat him, and it's actually quite a convoluted story for an audio. I found. Yeah, I mean that's what I say. I mean it would have been it would have been fairly ambitious in terms of what you're trying to portray in the different ways if it was actually filming it. Yeah. But to actually allow trying to convey the different time periods and. Dimensions just by audio mm. um, really stretches it. Yeah, they actually don't do a bad job. I don't think it's okay. That there's a hell of a lot of, um, and I, I don't know. If, I, I mean, I must admit, I haven't listened to m- many Doctor Who audios. I've got to be perfectly honest. Um, but I found the Sarah Jane Smith character was used predominantly just to describe what was happening. Yeah, she was sort of like saying, "Oh, the doctor's fallen over. Oh no, oh, no he's back up again. <laughs> yes. Oh no, he's fallen over again." And she was always describing things like that. It sounded really peculiar and not like Sarah Jane Smith. Yeah, most most of her is that, isn't it? She yeah. is trying. She's the the narrator almost, isn't she? Yeah. So it's yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Actually, she is. Yeah. Um, but I also found that her character, even when she wasn't describing what was uh, what was going on, um, it was very summing up where we are. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, she wasn't Sarah Jane Smith. No, I, because I, it, it starts out with her basically she's given up on being a reporter, so she's trying to write novels to make money. So yeah, that's where all the that's where all the the fame is, sort of thing. Yeah, um, which isn't what Sarah Jane was about. Not even at that early stage. No. You know, I know there's sort of like, this was made, you know, 20 odd years after, or more than 20 years after, um, Pertwee left the role. Um, so that was in Sarah Jane's early days then. But even then, she wasn't that kind of character. No. I mean, I think that's in some <clears throat> ways, that's sort of the problem, because it's supposed to set in that period. Yeah. But he's almost giving you a Sarah Jane... Of 1996. Yeah, and that's why it doesn't it doesn't sit right, does it? No. 
It really doesn't. Um, she's she's moved <clears throat> on a lot in what was only supposed to have been a, a small few, period. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, to just to sort of like give up on what she was doing. Yeah, I know. At the end, she goes back to being a reporter again. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it just it just didn't seem right, and also her um sort of getting easily scared and and the mention and that, another bit I didn't like as well when the doctor mentioned started talking about these um creatures coming from in space and it scared Sarah again. Yeah. And she dropped a cup or a plate or something. I thought there is no way Sarah Jane would have done that. And I don't know just down to the fact that it was maybe Barry Letts just wasn't the writer required for this story. Maybe yeah. maybe just didn't know how to write Sarah Jane. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it just is. I mean, it just is the fact that it is years later, and it's difficult for people to go back and to see how they felt of characters. Then you wonder how much of the classic stuff he actually would have been able to have watched previous to actually even writing this, or whether he's writing it from his own memories of the time. <clears throat> he could have been. He could have been. However, sort of the, the brigadier. That's almost like the retired brigadier we get a lot later on as well. Yeah, I mean it is. I mean it is, isn't it? Very much. But where so. it's supposed to be set, set in the point in which this is supposed to be set, you get you sort of guess at. Yeah, it isn't, is it? It is a much later. All all three characters are much later mm. in their see, this, development. So this is what makes me think whether it isn't supposed to be taken as part of. It's set during that period. Maybe it is supposed to be later. Yeah. So I, I really don't. But then again, it's all down to the, you know, the doctor's still there at unit sort of thing. So I, I really don't. Maybe that more of that's explained in the Paradise of Death. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. So I don't know. Maybe we could, we could be completely off the mark on this one. I've got no idea. But yeah, I mean, I mean, I thought Nicholas Courtney was excellent. I was going to say. I mean, actually. if there's one thing actually that makes this, whether you like it or not, that makes this worth listening to. Yeah. It's Nicholas Courtney in this, isn't it? Oh, definitely, definitely. And I mean, and and probably the the reason that I know we're going to get around to the character you want you probably want to speak about the character of Jeremy later. Yes, but the one thing that makes <laughs> his character worthwhile is just Nick, the the brigadier's attitude to Jeremy. Yes, there's the couple of things. There's one bit where he just says yes to something he's been saying. It's just the yes, yes. And then, and then when he's talking about his shooting ability, and you just hear him afterwards saying, "Pink teddy bear," <laughs> <laughs> and you can just imagine the look on his face as well. You, at you, that point. you can picture the brigadier's moustache bristling yeah. with anger, couldn't you? So <laughs> yeah. Um, well, actually, I mean, as well as I mean, obviously you got. Um, John Pertwee, Nicholas Courtney, was Sladen uh, from you know from the original series. We've also got Stephen Thorne, um, yeah. as we know, played. Um, he was in was in the Demons, the Three Doctors, Frontier in Space, and the Hand of Fear, as well. Um, we've also got Harry Taub as Uncle Mario, who was also in Terror of the Autons and Seas of Death, and it's also got um, an ex Doctor's wife, Sandra Dickinson. Yeah. As well, so it's got quite a big sort of Doctor Who connection to this uh, actor-wise, anyway. Yeah, I mean the last two of those probably gets my sort of thing with me most about this. Actually, my what I don't yeah. What yeah. I don't like about this. Two things actually I don't like about this. Mainly the first one being the accents. Yeah, if if you want, getting... some, yeah, if you want a, a story that's got stereotypical Italians. Um, who speak in pidgin English and gangsters who come straight out of a 1930s James Cagney gangster film. Yeah. And actually, yeah. I mean, even... I, so I tend to listen to these things and try, when I listen to audio, I tried not to actually see who the actors are that are playing mm. different roles because I've yeah. been... I would try and just visualise how I see them. Yeah. And actually, listening to it, I was thinking to myself... Is that someone doing a really over-the-top impersonation of Sandra Dickens? <laughs> <laughs> but it's out, it, this, this was really... I mean, even for her, this, I felt, went quiet into the... Yeah, it was It was sort of beyond the, the pile a little bit, wasn't it? Yeah. And as for, I think, Uncle Mario, that accent is... From early on, I kept wanting him to turn around and ask the Brigadier, when's your Del Mio day? <laughs> And from then on, 
which is the problem I then had with this, was the fact that whenever his character was mentioned, I pictured the little doll thing from the advert. <laughs> so I had this image of that wandering around the castle in my head, which didn't really help you slip into the reality oh, the, of the story. Ch- Ch- the, the voice that actually, you saying that you, you picture things in your, in your minds, um, Sandra Dickinson, and unfortunately the one thing... Well, I said there's two things I always associate with her, and unfortunately one one of them isn't, or neither of them, I should say, is the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, number one, uh, her singing the theme tune to Button Moon. Yeah. Right, and then the other thing was that T-Fail advert she did with Peter Davison. That I'll be home in twenty minutes. You can put the deer on. I'll be home in twenty minutes. It was yeah. that. It was I, every time she opened her mouth, I kept expecting her to say that. <laughs> And that's as good as a Sandra Dickinson impression you'll get out of me tonight, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded closer than the one she was giving. <laughs> so I say more like Sandra Dickinson than she does. <laughs> but it was just so over the top. It was, yeah. I mean, all the Italians, I mean, oh, God, it was just... You almost, it, I mean, it sort of reminded me of the um, Baron Greenback's um, henchman out of Danger Mouse. A lot of sea barone. It was it was like that all the time, wasn't it? It was it was yeah. just, it was really really stereotypical. And all of the um, so all the gangsters um, and Stephen Thorne is guilty of this because he was sort of playing a, a sort of a, a, a dual role, wasn't he? Yes, uh, I suppose you say. And he was sort of straight out of the Bronx, you know. Is that that kind of accent? Really thick, really thick accent. So yeah, wise guy, yeah. That's that kind of thing. Yeah. It was just yeah. Not very good, <laughs> but once once you got into full on shouty mode, the, the, yes. the accent was dropped, wasn't it? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he once he once he got into his own. So yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Now, um, actually, before we get on to Jeremy, uh, John Pertwee. Yeah. What What do you think to his sort of this portrayal of the Doctor? Um. Yeah, it wasn't. It, it, it got better, I think, because he had an awful lot of techno babble, didn't he? In this, yeah, which we know he wasn't. He always had problems with. Yeah, he wasn't overly overly keen on that, was he? So, no. um, yeah, he, he he had a lot to. Um, he actually seemed to have a bit of problem with the accent to start with. Well, I was there was a, a couple of times when yeah. I thought he was going to go into the four words of gummage. Well, that was that was the thing because he. I know, obviously, by the time he recorded this, he was a lot older yes. uh, than he was in you know, back in the early 70s. But there was, now and again, he, he wasn't acting like the Doctor in certain places. As you say, you say now, now and again, you thought he was going to step into full-on uh, Wurzel mode. Yeah, but then, the voice <clears throat> started to go a bit. Yeah, but then, he, but then other times, he just didn't sound like he was acting the Doctor. It just sounded like John Pertwee. If, yeah. I know it's difficult really because the third Doctor really was John Pertwee. It was his personality yeah. all the way through. But it was all the exposition and all the techno babble. I think for me, that's what made it unthird Doctor like. Yeah. And, and, and again, as we said, it's difficult because it's an audio. You've got to have all that description, haven't you? Yeah. You've got to have the what are you what are you doing there, Doctor? Haven't you? Yeah, that's it. Rather than him just carrying some weird shaped, well, some, some painted cardboard box with some wires coming out of it, as yeah, it would exactly. have been. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, um... but on the whole, though, I thought you know it was just good to hear him playing the Doctor again. Yeah, I mean, this, this is you what know? we get back to, isn't it? Is is to how much is our enjoyment of this just purely because you've got John Pertwee, Nicholas Courtney, and Elizabeth Sladen chatting away yeah that's it and if they'd just been sitting there talk, reminiscing would I have enjoyed that even more than actually an episode yeah <laughs> now obviously there is also a a, a fourth person in this, in this little um, gang isn't there yes in the Doctor's gang and that's the character of Jeremy Fitzoliver uh, by all accounts was introduced in the Paradise of Death yeah um, we know, have no idea of how his character developed in that, as we keep saying. Yeah. So we can only go on how he is in this. Yeah, exactly. And and, and obviously, as this follows 
of Paradise of Death. I'm going to say there probably wasn't a lot of uh, characterisation for him, was there? No. Uh, what there was was fairly annoying, especially early on. Oh, God. I just thought the character was awful, and I thought it was it was badly acted as well. Yeah. I think it's the one thing, if you... I mean, leaving aside all the the uh, ethnic stereotypes uh, we had in this, uh, that character was diabolical. Absolutely diabolical. Yeah, I would totally agree with you. I mean, as I say, the only reason, the only good thing that it brings in there is someone for the Brigadier to bristle against. Yeah, and but the whole thing was, I mean, reading, sort of reading between the lines, she, he, so she, I say she, he was um, Sarah Jane Smith's colleague at work. Yeah. And I can never believe for one moment that Sarah Jane would uh, sort of ally herself with someone like Jeremy Fitzoliver. Um, yeah, I suppose if she felt she was taking him under her wing. But to what I mean, end? To what end, though? This is, he, he didn't want to do anything, did he? No. I mean, if you want to go and... Anything Sarah Jane wanted to try to sort of curse him into doing, he, he was sort of... It was like, um, it was like Shaggy. Yeah, it's then, the, the, the coward. It's the odd bit where he gets on the boat, which is nothing ever that his character was likely to do in the first place. No, because he wasn't involved in the Doctor and Sarah Jane's visits into End Space, and it always no. seemed like, well, we've got to find something to do with this character. Yeah, and so you have him getting on the boat, which he'd run a mile from. Yeah, as his character was developing. Exactly, he was yeah. just a coward. Yeah. But but an annoying coward at that. Yeah. And it, and it was something like out of a, a, an Enid Blyton book. Because all he was worried about was sort of um, this weird thing about marmalade. Yeah. Which they, which they all started talking about. Because when they sort of had this breakfast, they said, oh no, breakfast, breakfast, breakfast without marmalade. And then they all start discussing what kind of marmalade they like. I thought, what the, the bloody hell is this? <laughs> and again, you get the, I prefer it without any being <laughs> the Brigadier. Yes. yes. That one has the Brigadier. Yeah. <laughs> is that one? <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was peculiar. And, and again, sort of what was the purpose of this character? Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll get back. To, um, I think we should clarify and get back to what you, what you said earlier about the Brigadier going pink teddy bear. Because that's how Jeremy convinced the Brigadier of his uh, marksmanship. Yes, was he yeah. shooting at fairs. Yeah. Um, and that he'd won various prizes, including a pink teddy, teddy bear. Yeah. And based on that, the Brigadier gave him the only weapon that they actually had to sort of, <laughs> to sort of uh, defeat these creatures coming from N-Space. Yeah. Uh, which was bizarre, to be honest. And again, was it just to give him something to do? Yeah, and I mean, and then later on you get where he actually shoots one of the hoods that have been possessed. Mm. And you think, how is that in any way? What what sort of leap has this character taken over the course of the few days this is supposed to be set over? Yeah. In real time, anyway. As I, as I said, you know, I said earlier, he's, he's like Shaggy out of Scooby-Doo. It would be like, sort of like Shaggy carrying the corner at the, yeah. site, at the site of the... Um, Sort of like the, the local park keeper dressed up as the ghoul of the week, and all of a sudden they say, "Well, actually, what, we're going to give you a general electric minigun." Yeah. Oh hell yeah! And, and off he yeah. goes, you know. So. Yeah. <laughs> and then later on, he's just he's got a he's got a normal gun and he's shooting as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. It's just sort of a it's... complete character about face. It's just yeah. it's bizarre. Um, and I really don't think it's it's at all helped by the performance of the actor Richard Pierce either. No. No. It really hasn't. Um, and I try to find out a bit more about him, this actor, and it appears that he does he's a lot of voice work. Yeah. Now, if you look at his um, entry on IMDb, he seems to do a lot of video games. So he's done, like, Fable 2. Um, there was one I'm not even going to pronounce because it's a Japanese game, one called Ape Academy, Dragon Quest. He did, some vo- he did the voice of uh, Dennis in the Dennis the Menace cartoon, by all accounts. Right, uh, which was back in 1996, actually 1998, according to this. Um, obviously, his his main period. Yeah, but he's he's only look at this. He's only got three acting roles as on screen. Um, one was in 1991 in the program of the TV series called The She Wolf of London, 
Right. Which is bloody awful. Uh, Shakespeare. Actually, no, this is probably Voices again, actually. Sorry. It's, um, well, probably it is Voices again. Uh, Shakespeare, The Animated Tales. He yeah. appeared in uh, The Tone with the Shrew and Macbeth. And then his last sort of on screen role, according to this, was in Grange Hill as Baptized Man. Right. <laughs> okay. So. I'm sure he must have done more more than that, surely. But even just sort of like in the, in the background, just waving at someone. I don't know, but um, yeah, baptized man. <laughs> hmm. But um, but I mean, based on, I mean, obviously, I can't say or compare him to anything he's been in before because I haven't no. heard or seen anything he's been in before. But no, we have in, no reference. To no say reference. Whether this was just a bad performance no. of a good actor, or although the list suggests that it's. He wasn't the most sought-after actor. No, it does seem to, to suggest that. Um, but um, oh, I could ask. Uh, but yeah. um, but then again, I don't think the dialogue was really that great. No, in this at all. And he was saddled with some pretty dire dialogue. If, if I'm no, yeah, I, mean, I, th- I think anyway. the idea was was everything with this story. Yeah, and getting it. I was going to say onto the screen. Then, but getting it into, onto the into audio seems to have been a difficult journey for it. I think. Mm, yeah, definitely, definitely. I don't know why there was such a gap in it being recorded and it being released. Yeah, either. I mean, whether they they just didn't like how it had turned out and they was going to do stuff about trying to re-edit it, but couldn't get characters available or not. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It was. I mean, certain parts I thought you know were very well acted, and I think it's when they went back into the the eighteenth and sixteenth centuries. I think once you and they, you, you know, you got past all the, the sort of like you, you as I said, uh, your ethnic stereotypes. Yeah. And it just seemed to settle down a little bit more, and it's when the sort of the Doctor was sort of um, and Sarah Jane were posing as sort of, as sort of like now, wasn't the Doctor meant to be some sort of other kind of alchemist or something wasn't he or I can't remember what his character was supposed to when he went back to the 16th century he was supposed to be wasn't he researching the looking into the claims of these people or something oh I, I honestly can't remember what it was now. I wish I'd sort of made a, a few more notes about that side of things but but just the fact they got Sarah Jane to act as his sort of um, his boy yes and <laughs> I don't think you could ever accuse um Elizabeth Slade and looking man-like at all, really. No. <laughs> that really was a leap of imagination. That one. It would have been. It would have been in the way of Black uh, <clears throat> Blackadder and Bob, wouldn't it, it? Yes, it was, wasn't it? It really was. Um... <laughs> yeah, that's how it just occurred to me. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that's where they got it from. Just saying that actually sort of made me think. Then. Yeah, makes you wonder. Yeah. It's very similar what they did, very similar. Yeah. Apart from the fact that Doc, Doc doesn't cop off with, <laughs> and one plans to marry his uh, <laughs> marry Sarah Jane at the end. But no, it was just um, yeah. Oh, I, I, we're going into the TARDIS now to go to another dimension. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was code. <laughs> uh, I say, does it always end with the Doctor saying, "That's funny." I always feel more comfortable in a dress. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, no, it, it did that again. That that really was a, a leap of um, a leap of logic or a leap of imagination, yeah. whatever you want to call it, really. Um, but obviously, I thought the, the the good thing about that is when they were in the um, in, in sort of travel back to the past, you had less Jeremy to listen to. Yes, because uh, he didn't go with them. So um, yeah, so I mean, he, that was probably the most annoying character. In the whole thing, I think, yeah, really was. Um, but I say, I mean, yeah, I think the rest of them were perfectly, perfectly good. Yeah, you know, apart from the, the the bad Italian accents and the bad New York gangster accents and stuff. Yeah, like I, that. as you but, say, once they once they got into the past and they they got yeah. you that you knew using the past, and actually they didn't really seem to be that much so bothered with the the doing the. Over the over the accents, did they? It was much more than in describing what was going on. Yeah, that, that, and the that story was, rather than it was quite peculiar why they decided to drop that. I'm glad they did decide to drop the accents. Yeah. I, I really am. 
Um, even though it's still sort of set in, set in. I mean, I suspect it was to actually try and to, to distance themselves, <laughs> probably in more ways than one, than yeah. from the present day attitude of it. You know, so that it was obvious because he then had bad Italian accents in both the two other time zones as well. It made it very difficult to work out who oh, was saying what. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I, 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 yeah, I, I see exactly where you're coming from. It, it, it's the tendency like, for them all to sound start sounding the same. Yeah, it was like a dividing line, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, between everything. But uh, yeah, I, it just, I, I just think that even in the, the present day, you could have done without that. You know, why not just give them American accents? Why'd have to be this sort of, you know, this this yeah, you know, the, you know, the stereotypical sort of Al Capone style gangster. Yeah. It just was, wasn't it? We are gangsters to set set it up yeah. that we don't have to actually. But they did even do, they did do the explanation as to who they were, so you didn't really necessarily need it to be that over the top. No, exactly. I mean, the only the problem was with that we're doing those sort of adopting those voices uh, for the, you know for all the gangsters. You had this image; they're all wearing pinstripe suits, big fedoras, and carrying violin cases. In cases, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. Um, I mean, the other, the thing, one of the other things I liked about this, when we were talking about going back in time, is actually the fact that they sort of, the doctor going back in time actually didn't do anything. In fact, actually, all he did was push everything in the right direction. It, it was, yeah, he was actually yeah. meant to be there. Had the doctor not gone back in time, then actually some of this wouldn't have turned out as it did. Yeah, that's it. Because even at the end, where um, Sarah Jane doesn't come back, does she? Right, no. at the, right at the very end, and she tries to save. Um, oh, was it Louisa? Yeah, which she she doesn't do because it's always meant to happen, isn't it? Um, well, yeah, yeah. So, and again, I think that, that that's that similar sort of thing. She she was sort of like, almost a catalyst for that as well. It was never going to change. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought it was quite. I, I did like that actually. That there was no. I suppose you, you kind of had the alien of the week, but it it it, it wasn't. It wasn't really. You you yeah. had the, you had the bad guy who was just trying to achieve immortality, and really that was a. I don't know if you could say it was almost a bit like Omega in a funny way. Yeah, someone who was yeah getting his power from another dimension. Yeah, um, and also having Stephen Thorne play that character as well, and trying to keep him trapped there. Yeah, which was even. Even more so, really, wasn't it? So, yeah. but I did think the ending was a little bit of a, a little bit of a sort of a, a cop out. Yeah, but you'd really. felt actually it would have been better if they just ended it with them defeating him in end space. Yeah, and coming back, and then that would have been yeah fine. It's just because also you had the bit actually which I'm really not sure about. I like on this, and that is the whole of. End space being the way through to what you presume is the, on the what you, you, your spirit goes through on the way to heaven. Well, this this is the thing because I mentioned earlier on. They, it's almost as if they were acknowledging the fact that yeah, heaven that, exists. Heaven exists and magic exists as yeah. well. I think this is what I really have a problem with with this story. In yeah. fact, is and I know it's they they sort of get caught between trying to explain it as another dimension. Yeah. You sort of had this bit about oh they're ghosts and then it's saying well no it's it's there it's the end space you have a an equivalent of your the human body mm. in end space and it's that that yeah, they call your gets, you, they call your end body don't they yeah yeah it gets trapped on Earth which you then see and you think is a ghost yeah which all right okay you can stretch to that it's then right at the end of this where you have Sarah Jane leading Louisa to her to to the light where her parents yeah. Yeah. and uh, the boyfriend were all waiting for her and smiling at her and you know it's well you, you are saying basically that this is the way to heaven yeah here yeah and that's not very doctor who it's not it really isn't <laughs> and so you know and also the whole thing about the uh, what's he's called the Vil- Vilmius character, yeah, or Vilmio we would call him. The whole thing he's he's stayed he's 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 kept because the whole reason he's kept himself alive all these centuries because for, for him to achieve this immortality uh, via end space, 
it's got to have this, it's almost like a cosmic alignment has, yeah. got, has got to happen for for this the optimum time for him to get into end space in his own body, not, yeah. not in his end body. Yeah, and again, he's used the magic potion to prolong his life. And and again, it's it's okay, I know this was made well before what's we call it, uh, end of time. But it's the same thing. Yeah. The Master's resurrected using magic potions. This guy's prolonged his life using magic potions. It, yeah. And it doesn't sit right with Doctor Who. No. And especially with, with Pertwee's Doctor. Yeah, which was very much everything explained by science. Yeah, because, I mean, he was, I mean, more so, I think, than any other Doctor. They yeah. Really, they really played up the scientist's angle with, with, with the third Doctor. Yeah. Um, and for him to acknowledge, basically, yes, there is a heaven... It, it doesn't really fit. Fit? No, no, doesn't. No, like I say, you could almost they could almost try and sell end space as another dimension, but that just that last scene, yeah, is and the, the only reason for it being really is to add to stop him from being able to close the hole as soon as he returns. Yeah, and um, it just totally says well what are you saying about this story this story is just about souls departing to heaven or not as the case may be yeah yeah it was just very very peculiar to have that in there but again i don't this is again because barry letts wrote it and he was i don't know he was a deeply spiritual man wasn't he because he was was very much into um, buddhism so maybe and actually a lot of his Anything he sort of had a hand in, especially like Planet of the Spiders, that was all full of Buddhist chants and yeah, and, and stuff like that. So again, he's obviously heavily influenced the um, that outlook the doc- the doctors have in there. Yeah, definitely. But uh, actually, while we've been talking, I've just been trying to find out a little bit more about the the uh, Jeremy Fitz Oliver character. <laughs> Let it go. I can't. He appeared. One... I'll be wandering the earth for he, years. He appeared. He appeared one more time, right? In a, a book called Instruments Instruments of Darkness, which is a, a Sixth Doctor and Mel, right story. And he's not actually named as Jeremy Fix Oliver, but he's named as John Doe. Right now, this is quite a fitting end to, to his character. He's a, John Doe. He, his mind was destroyed. When he foolishly tried to fill about with the Doctor's IRIS machine following the incident with the spiders. Doe was never really part of unit, just a well-meaning hanger-on who wanted to fit in. And as the Doctor never really liked him that much, he didn't bother to find out whether he recovered afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I was saying? I suspect Good. someone's Good. written that like just for you. <laughs> oh, dear. So, just to give you closure with it, <laughs> do you know what he, he's he's like he's catch like he's like um, Poochie. <laughs> it's sort of like <laughs> <he's>, <laughs> when they sort of like get they just get rid of him. He went back to his home planet and he died on the way, <laughs> never to be seen again. It's it's that sort of very very sort of um, indignant ending. That's brilliant. I love that. Ah <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, anyway, so. yeah, back to back to the audio again. Sorry, I, I had to I had to bring that bring that up, you know, like a bit like bile. But uh, um, nah, it, I, I on the whole, I did enjoy it. It's I think as <laughs> I mean, you could probably level it as, as you could do with most of John Pertwee's stories. It was a little bit drawn out at six episodes. Yeah, and especially for an audio as well. Yeah, where you haven't got something to to look at while you're. Um, why they're going through all the tedious exposition <laughs> in some places? Yes, yes, yeah, very much so. But I, I think I'm, I mean I did I did kind of enjoy it. I you know I, w- I wouldn't give it a, a you know a glowing review, no, as such as, as you probably gather from this. But you know, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't, we haven't we hardly yeah. From, I, I think we struggle if someone actually pinned us down and said, "What did you really like about this?" Yeah. Um, well, I was gonna say Nicholas Courtney. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. He, he really was the best thing in it. Yeah, and okay, it's all. I mean, Pertwee's my favourite Doctor. He, he could have the third Doctor reading the phone book, and I'd still enjoy it. But you know, it maybe a bit too much time had passed for Pertwee to get back into it again. If you see what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, perhaps you're right. It just needed something a lot. 
It almost needed a simpler story. Yeah. It was too too complicated a story to be trying to tell, really. Yeah, it Think. was. It was. Maybe with a more experienced writer. Yeah. With, without actually, as you say, the dialogue actually between the characters wasn't great. Yeah. And an audio particularly needs good dialogue. Yeah, definitely. And and it didn't need Jeremy Fitzoliver in there. I mean, that I, I don't know why that character was introduced. I don't know if they needed an extra character for... The brigadier or Sarah Jane to bounce off of the doctor. Uh, and as, as I say, though, I think I think he you know, he just to me justifies just because he does give the brigadier somebody to. Yeah, as I say, we, we don't know what he did in Paradise of Death. No, do we? We don't know who, but he, he doesn't interact with the doctor. No, hard, you know, hardly at all. Yeah, um, and he he's as I say, he's like out of a like Enid Blyton Famous Five book. It's that very odd sort of lashes of ginger beer. Sort of character, yeah. You know, you know. We oh, we had a slap up tea, and I, you know, it, it didn't. It just didn't. Even if this was meant to be set in the nineteen seventies, or if you're going by the unit um, dating, sort of like the nineteen eighties or whatever. I mean, no, that character that just doesn't fit. No, it really doesn't fit. Oh well. Oh well. But I say I enjoyed it, but I wouldn't say it was any, different, wasn't it? It, it was something yeah. different. That was the main yeah. thing. Um, on the basis that obviously we weren't going to get any um, big finish John Pertwee stuff. No. And, 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 and to the best of our knowledge, yeah. <laughs> we're not going to get any now. <laughs> well, I'm just beginning to wonder if there hadn't been any big finish, whether this would have been looked back on a, little, a bit more fondly by fans. Yeah, I think we slightly they have been spoiled by how good some of the big finish stuff is. Yeah. And that that now tends to be how you um, rate a Doctor Who audio by, isn't it? Oh, definitely. I mean, um, I mean, I don't know what the early, early big finish stuff is like because well, that started yeah. what nineteen ninety nine was it? The first big finish? Uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure actually. My, oh, I can't I, honestly. Please don't don't comment me on that, listeners. But yeah. <clears throat> I just begin to wonder what what they are like now compared to what they what they're now recording now because I think they have come on leaps and bounds. Yeah. Okay, I haven't listened to it. There are some other big Finnish fans out there who can you know listen to absolutely everything and are a, a, a better authority on it than than I will ever be. But you can always tell because that with anything it it gathers in confidence, doesn't it? And they get yeah. bigger and not. I say bigger and better ideas. They've got more of an idea how to how to construct a story and how what to what works get the and what doesn't exactly and get the best and out of your actors. And yeah, yeah. So I suppose you could say this was trial and error. Yeah, this story. Um, but as I say, it was the only official who that we had back in the day. Yeah, and let's be honest, that was better than nothing. Yeah, totally. Yeah, really was better than nothing. So okay. Let's uh, let's end it, end it now. I think yes, it was a good time. <laughs> yeah. Good time to end it. Okay, well, next week we will be back with. Um, well, we're going to return to our retrospectives again, and we're going to go back to series three of Doctor Who. Uh, in other words, David Tennant's second series. Uh, so we're going to kick off with Smith and Jones next yes. week. So, uh, which I must have I haven't watched in a long time. No, neither have I. Yeah, so uh, that'll be interesting to return to that again. Actually, so uh, yes, so that so so again, it's going to be interspersed with other bits and pieces, and we're not going to have an unbroken run of this either, are we? No, so no, we'll uh, spare you that. Yeah, we'll spare you that. So so we'll be sort of dropping in and out of the retrospective with some more audio commentaries, uh, some more hopefully some more audio and book reviews as well. Yeah, and uh, just want to try and mix it up a little bit. Okay then. So until next week, then it is goodbye from me, Phil. And goodbye from me, Paul. Goodbye. That was the Who's He podcast. 
please get in touch with us by emailing feedback at whos-he.co.uk, visit our website at whos-he.co.uk, and also follow us on Twitter at whos underscore he underscore podcast. The Who's He Podcast is a member of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance.